Thanks, John. Uh, I appreciate uh, the introduction in general and specifically uh, explaining what a chancellor is. Most people, when they think of chancellor, the only reference point is Star Wars, and that's kind of ominous and uh, sinister. My uh, third son said, uh, when I got the job, he said, seriously, Dad, your title is going to be chancellor? <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good thing. So um, thanks for the introduction on that. Uh, thanks for the worship team for leading us. Um, some of you are looking up here and you go, Oh, that guy looks familiar. Uh, what does he remind me of? So if we can have the first slide uh, come up here. Uh, there we go. So some of you, so, all right. Uh, so this was um, a student at my former university tweeted this actually during chapel a couple of years ago when Twitter was still a thing. Um, and uh, so it, it just made me laugh. Um, I'm up here. Uh, I, I have a wife and four kids. Um, my wife and kids are still back in Arkansas as they finish out the school year and stuff, but I did want to at least introduce them to you. So my wife, Michelle, and I on the next slide. Um, yeah, isn't that, I mean, this is like staged uh, photography stuff. So we were doing family pictures um, a little bit ago. Um, uh, the next picture of my kids shows the personality of the family a little bit more. Uh, this is kind of their angsty emo band picture. Um, so... Um, so that's a little bit of, we were just messing around uh, with the camera. So that's a little bit of who my family is. Today, what I want us to do is look at John chapter 1. And I know you've been uh, preaching through the book of John uh, this year. I want to go back to the beginning a little bit. But as we do, I want to show you a picture. How many of you recognize uh, this guy? Anybody? Okay. Uh, commercials, uh, beer commercials. I know we're probably not supposed to do beer commercials in chapel. Um, but um, this guy is the most interesting man in the world. And of course, we go, really? Seriously, the most interesting man in the world? Um, I want to suggest to you today, not surprisingly, that Jesus is the most interesting man in the world, and largely because he doesn't fit our categories. Um, there's a saying in biblical studies that every generation searches for the historical Jesus and finds his picture in the mirror. Okay? So in other words, we remake Jesus into our image instead of letting him reshape us into his image. So if you're a political scientist, you see a political uh, Jesus. Maybe if you're an honor student, you see an intellectual Jesus. Uh, some of you might see a hipster Jesus. Some of you might see a social justice Jesus. Um, and we want to categorize him as an either-or Jesus. And that actually makes him a lot less interesting and a lot less true. Um, and I would suggest to you that Jesus comes to us as a both-and Jesus, not an either-or Jesus. And it's important that we understand that because if we don't understand who Jesus really is, it is very difficult to have a right relationship. And so God gives us, uh, he goes to great lengths to make sure that we know him. One of the things that reshaped the way I read scripture a few years ago, I was reading a book by Eugene Peterson called Eat This Book, about how to read scripture. And he says a lot of Christians read scripture starting with the wrong point. They read scripture looking for answers to the question, what am I supposed to do? And that question is an important question, but it should be the second question you ask when you read scripture. The first question you ask should be, who is God showing himself to be? Because the Bible is first and foremost God's self-revelation to us. It's kind of God's Instagram page to the world 
so that we can understand who he is. And if we jump first to the question, what am I supposed to do, we miss out on much of what God has for us. And I would suggest that John chapter 1 is a great place to start as we look at who is God trying to show himself that he is to the world. So please uh, hear with me the word of the Lord from John chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 5 and 9 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. So, if we're going to look at this passage in, in a responsive way to the way I, that I've learned to read Scripture, I want us to ask two questions about three different things that we read. So the first question is, who is Jesus? Who do we see Jesus to be in this part of the passage? And then second, we'll ask the question, so how do we respond to God's self-revelation to us? So the first part, um, as we look at this, there are going to be three different ands, that Jesus is something and something else. So the first point that we see is Jesus is both God and man, right? So the word became flesh and dwelt among us, God and man. And we try to figure out what this picture is. And John starts out the book by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as I grew up, you know, I read this passage a lot. A lot of you have heard this passage a lot. I went to seminary. I learned that the Greek word for that is logos, you know, from which we get our word logic. And so we start to see the Word is kind of this organizing principle of the world. The thing through which everything else makes sense. And I've even taught this in class. About 10 years ago, I was teaching a New Testament class, and we're talking through John 1.1, and after I go through this part, a student raises his hand, he was from El Salvador, and he says, uh, Professor Reed, can I read to you what this verse sounds like in Spanish? I said, sure. And so he said, en el principio era el verbo, y el verbo con Dios, y el verbo era Dios. Okay? In the beginning was the verb, and the verb was with God, and the verb was God. I go, wow. Okay, Spanish translators, as they looked at the original Greek and saw the word logos, they didn't use the Spanish word palabra, they used verbo. They see God not as just the organizing principle, but the action that puts into practice all of God's revelation to the world. And I thought about, what does it look like if you grow up in the church, in your family, and you see Jesus as the verb, action, not just word, logos, logic? And I go, wow, that's amazing. God is so much more than I had understood him to be. 
And that makes sense if you look through the rest of John 1, where Jesus is all about action. Through him, everything was created. Nothing was created without him. He came. He was the light of the world. Um, He became light to us. And he's doing all these action things. And so it expanded my vision of who God was. And that's what God is always trying to do. He is always trying to expand our vision of who he is. And so that's why when we get to verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see him. We beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only um, from God. So why is this important? God could have come to us in a lot of different ways. In the Greco-Roman world of that time, or the Jewish world, to come as a human being was really offensive and uncomfortable. It would have been a lot easier to meet that world, to come as a spirit, to come as logic. But God became flesh. He became incarnate. The word carne there. How many of you like carne asada, Mexican restaurants? Okay. One of the reasons carne asada tastes so good is that it reminds us of Jesus. Incarnation. Incarnate. Okay. Right? So... Um, So Jesus became flesh, meat, one of us, not just a spirit, not just a body that kind of held the spirit a little bit, but fully became God and man. And it is because he became God and man that we could be saved. He comes to us. So how do we respond to this picture of the God who became flesh? Oh, but before we get there, I want to say something as we think about that. I've noticed something um, in chapel the last couple weeks that was really interesting. As we think about, as I was thinking about that, Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling among us, I was thinking about something that's happened in chapel the last couple weeks. And two of our speakers have come down off the stage and started walking through the room, right? John Bray right here, Dr. Lowe, and not just right up here with Jaden, but walking back through... The room, not just to this part, but you keep going back and back and back. And what happens when the speaker starts coming back here, besides the fact that people start putting their phones away, okay? (laughs) Right? What happens to that? People go, oh, it's like something different is happening here. It's not just somebody on the stage up there, but I'm going to come back here to Landon. He's going, oh, somebody picked me, okay? And I put my hand on Landon's shoulder, and it's like, he's not just an anonymous person in chapel anymore, okay? Or I walk back here, and they go, oh, no, he can't be coming back under the balcony, (laughs) right? But he is. Oh, no, he's going to look at me. He's going to notice that I'm back here. I better wake up, or something like that. You guys aren't asleep back here, are you? Not at all. What's your name? James. James? Nice to meet you, James. All right. So, um, James has got a good burrito going there. All right. So... So what happens when the speaker comes out in the middle? It changes the narrative. It changes the relationship. And that's just one chapel speaker for a couple of minutes. You think of what Jesus did. People up there are going, he can't be coming up there, is he? Well, let's go over and see. All right. (laughs) So you think about what Jesus did. Jesus could have stayed in heaven. I mean, God had sent the prophets for years and years. I'm really coming up here. Okay. So so God had sent the prophets for years and years and years. He'd sent his word, right? Not just the lower one here. We're going all the way to the top. Okay. How you guys doing? I'm Rod. 
I'm Bedford. Nice to meet you, Bedford. All right. So, when Jesus comes, God comes in flesh to us, and he goes around and he meets us, and he starts to know who we are. Hey, Hannah, how you doing? Good to see you. All right. So, if it were on our campus, so if Jesus came to Iwu, the passage might read a little differently. And I haven't been here very long, but I've been trying to pick up on what the place is like. So he might say, uh, kind of out of breath from all this walking around here. So He might say, the word became flesh and dwelt in the lodges. Who's in the lodges? All right. And so the word became flesh and dwelt in the lodges and knows what it's like to have a class in Elder or Noggins at 7.50 and knows what it feels like to feel like you're hiking from Ohio to get to class, right? (laughs) Or the word became flesh and dwelt among us and knows what it's like to be a commuter student who's part of the campus but feels like they're missing out on some of it. Or the word became flesh and became a faculty member here and knows what it's like to try to be ready for class and return graded papers in a timely manner and meet individually with students and have time for your family. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh, knows what it's like to be a student of color on a predominantly white campus and asking the question, is this really my place? Do I really belong? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God just didn't stay up on stage. He came and became one of us. He came and inhabited a body that looks like your body and my body so that he would experience the life that we live so that we know he understands our lives. So how do we respond to that picture of Jesus? One, we approach God boldly. In Hebrews 4, it says, because Jesus became flesh... We don't have to tiptoe into the presence of God, but we can approach the throne of grace boldly to receive mercy and help in our time of need. Because God experienced our lives, we get to approach him boldly. And secondly, as we respond to others, we get to dwell with others. So no matter if you're a commuter, if you're um, an on-campus student, faculty, staff, we have this privilege of dwelling with one another, being part of one another's lives, so that we get to enact the life of Jesus in our community together, okay? Second picture we see of Jesus. So he is God and man. Who else is Jesus, okay? He is both glorious and ordinary. Now, what do I mean here? So John 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Now, the Jews reading this would have thought of the Shekinah glory in the temple, the glory that put distance between God and human beings. But Jesus comes and brings that that glory of God face-to-face to us. And he did it in very ordinary ways. I'm going to put this next picture up. You can look at it. It's a pretty picture. Um, This is from an art museum that I went to about a year ago. Uh, The artist is uh, called Chihuly, um, and it's glass art. Does anybody know how glass is made? Basically, you take beach sand, heat it up to 3,090 degrees, it becomes liquid, and when it cools, it becomes glass. The most ordinary stuff in the world becomes something beautiful. This is the picture of Jesus. We beheld God's glory as he became the most normal thing in the world. Okay? 
His glory was shown in the most ordinary stuff. And so he asked us then, as we respond to that, to give him the most ordinary things in our lives. I know you know this, being good Christian university students, but spiritual stuff and the work of God doesn't just happen in this room. Somebody say amen if they know that. Okay, more people say amen if they know that. Okay, there you go, or say it louder. Good. So when we talk about being a Christ-centered university, what we were saying is that Christ is the center of everything that happens in the residence halls, in the classrooms, in the weight room, on the basketball court, the football field, the baseball field, the, the theaters, uh, the choir practice rooms, all those places are where God's glory is revealed. And God says, give me the ordinary stuff of your life and you will get to participate in my glory. Okay? Every bit of it. So that also affects how we relate to one another. We, not just get, we don't just give God our ordinary stuff, but we have the opportunity to be Christ in the ordinary, everyday relationships that we have. So, when you walk out from this place, some of you uh, will rush to the cafeteria. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. So that. Who said that? Raise your hand. There you go. All right, thanks. What's your name? Brady. Brady. Thanks. Brady or Grady? Brady. Grady. All right, good. Thanks. Amen. I love it. I didn't see what was on the menu today, but I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Uh, especially if Robbie's cooking it, right? So... There you go. All right. So in the most ordinary stuff of life, we have the opportunity to be Christ to one another. So do we head to the front of Robbie's line, or do we let somebody else go in front of us? Do we try to rush out the back doors of chapel first, or do we hold them so other people can get through them? Do we get frustrated when somebody jostles us, or do we give them the benefit of the doubt that they're just in a hurry and they weren't meaning to jostle us? In the most normal things we do in our lives, we have the opportunity to exhibit, exhibit Christ's ordinary gloriousness to the people around us. It's a great privilege. And the more we do it, the more we start looking like the most interesting man in the world. Okay? The more he reshapes us into him, his image rather than us reshaping him into our image. Last. What is the last picture of Jesus that we get here? Jesus is not only God and man. He is not only glorious and ordinary. He is also full of grace and truth. So not just a little bit of grace and truth, but full of grace and truth. Not 50% grace, 50% truth. Full of grace and truth. This one's a hard one for me to tell you the truth and to do so with grace, hopefully. Um, because I'm pretty convinced that most of us like grace or truth. Okay, and I'm not going to ask you which one you are. But I think by personality, most of us are truth people or grace people, but it's really hard to be a grace and truth person. Okay? And some of you, because God has convicted you so much of the truth of God's word and the way the world is supposed to work and and the way he's wired your personality. It's like the truth is just so, so important to you, and that's awesome. But sometimes when you're a truth person, and this is kind of where I land, um, it's easy to be so focused on the truth and you're so uh, convicted of it and want to communicate the truth well that people who are truth people don't often 
think a lot about how the truth lands on hurting people. Okay? And so those of you who are grace people say, but yeah, but the main verb in Jesus' commandment is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if I have all these other things but don't have love, then what am I? And sometimes those of you who are grace people identify so much with the hurts of people around you that it's easy to neglect the hard passages of Scripture that convict us and call us to change and call us to surrender to ourselves. And so we end up having these Christian fights about who's more Christian, truth people or grace people. And God says to us, he shows us a picture of himself. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Basically said an either or thing is not an option in this case. If we want to look like the most interesting man in the world, we have to become people full of grace and truth. So obviously when we respond to that kind of a picture of God, our first response is we say to God, I'm going to pursue this picture of grace and truth with everything that I have. I'm going to open up every area of my life. I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to say, God, whatever your picture of grace and truth is, that's what I want. I'm going to let you invade every part of my life. There's no uh, room that's off limits. There's no area of my life that I'm not willing to surrender to you so that I can be filled with your grace and truth. And then secondly, we have that same commitment for the people around us. We say, as I engage people around me, as I talk with them, as I eat with them, as I study with them, as I grade their papers, as I read the grades that are on my papers that I got back from my professor, I will give full grace and truth. Okay? That's hard stuff. And it's hard because it doesn't come naturally to us. It's hard because we need the Holy Spirit's revitalizing work in our life, shaping work in our life to change us into the type of people who look more and more like Jesus. What I've been working on the last three or four years of this in my own life is especially when I get mad or when I get frustrated or when I get in conversations with people who are different from me. Um, I try to look at what is my natural tendency. So I'm probably naturally a truth person. Um, and then I try to say, how do I need to lean over the other way to try to let God's grace fill me so that in this situation I'm a grace person, not just a truth person. Okay? For some of you, that makes a lot of sense. You go, yep, that's what I need. For some of you, you might be on the other side. You say, I'm, I'm just naturally this grace person. And when I see hurting people and when I see other people hurt people, it just riles me up. And, and I just want to go to the defense there. And, and you might need to say, okay, how do I let God's truth speak into my life at this moment? Let God's opportunities. So I was trying to think of, I was actually wrestling with this right up till this very second about whether I was going to give this example or not. But sure, why not? What's, what's the worst that could happen? Um, so I was thinking about this with um, the signs we post on our walls and the banners we put in our windows. Okay? Oh, people are going, oh, is he really going there? Sure, we're really going there. 
okay? And I'm not trying to be snarky on this. And I'm not, I, uh, I'm not trying to rip on people or anything. Um, I'm trying to help us think in real-world situations how we handle disagreements, okay? So I, I understood. I was here for Friday Night Live and, um, in November, which is awesome. We've got it coming up in a little bit. Make sure to get your tickets, all right? Um, there you go. Yeah, you can clap for that. You can clap for that. One of the funny things uh, about Friday Night Live last semester was kind of like how we would tiptoe up to the edge of controversial topics and then back away saying, nope, we can't talk about this stuff, right? Okay, because it's like, oh, how do we talk about this stuff on campus? And, and do we just put banners in our windows or signs on the walls or stuff on our Facebook pages or, you know, send funny, snarky Snapchats, um, you know, to our friends? Um, or do we say there are other ways to have the good, healthy, intense disagreements that human beings are, are bound to have? Okay. Are there other ways that we can do this that don't just reflect the way of the world to say we're just going to yell at each other, uh, we're going to you know, do whatever and call it good? Or do we think about what is God calling me to in relationship with the person with whom I disagree most on campus? How does God call me to love in that situation? How does God call me to be a person of grace and truth in that situation? And I just happened to pick that because I walk past, the, I walk past signs and banners every day here on campus. And I hope we have the environment on campus where we can come together in grace and truth and wrestle through the hard stuff of our culture, wrestle through the hard things of politics, wrestle through the hard things of race, um, wrestle through these topics, but that we can do so in grace and truth. So as the band comes out to lead us in our last song, and they didn't know this, but they've chosen my favorite worship song these days, um, of God's breath in our lungs that allows us to do the things that he calls us to. That's what we're talking about here. That God inhabits us through his Holy Spirit, through the saving work of Jesus Christ, so that we can do the things that he calls us to. I'm going to read this verse 14 of chapter 1 again. And um, as I do so, I want you to consider which of these characteristics of Christ God might be calling you to let him do work in your life on um, over the weekend, next week, spring break, the rest of the semester? Is it the God who dwells among us so that we can dwell among others? The God who is glorified in the ordinary so that we can glorify him in our ordinary lives? Or the God who is full of grace and truth so that we can be full of grace and truth? So hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. May we as Iwu reflect the life of Christ on this campus and in this community in all that we do. Amen. <laughs>